This is Strange Assembly episode 277, The Quacks of Quedlinburg. I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can find us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com. You can subscribe to the podcast there in iTunes slash the Apple Podcast app or whatever podcatching service you prefer. You can also reach me directly. I'm Chris at strangeassembly.com. We're going to be talking today about the quacks of Quendlinburg. This is the first in what I hope are a series of, I don't know, shelter-in-place-inspired episodes on the sort of board games that we've been playing here around the Stevenson household while I'm reduced to not having board game nights with uh, anyone else and having my role-playing nights reduced to Zoom sessions or Google Hangouts. And so the first one I wanted to cover was The Quacks of, of Quenlinburg. This is not an obscure game. It was released in 2018. It won the Kenner Spiel. It was designed by Wolfgang Warsch and in the United States is published by North Star Games. But I wanted to lead off talking about this one because there has been a, a significant stretch here at the Stevenson household where I have had a hard time getting any game to the table but Quacks of, of Quendlinburg. It's very, very good. I just like a little bit more variety than other people sometimes, and the family just kept wanting to play this a bunch, a bunch. So I really like it. They like it even more. I, I'm sitting here going, but I want to play Wolfgang's next game, Taverns of Tiefenthal more. No, more quacks, more quacks. So quacks is a push-your-luck bag-building game. The theme is that you are you know, a flim-flam artist who, a quack, of course, right, that you are making these miracle cure potions and you're throwing random ingredients in. And you have various colors of chips that you are pulling out of your bag and putting into your pot, as well as white chips that are in there. White chips are bad. If you pull too much value of white chips out of your bag, then your pot explodes. So, right, in an ideal universe, you stop just just right before your pot is about to explode, but you don't know when that's going to be, so you have to decide whether or not you want to be very safe or you want to keep on going. Now, this is a, a bag-building game because at the end of each of the rounds, you have the opportunity to buy more ingredients, add into your bag, and so as the game goes on, you get more and more non-white chips in your bag, which gives you more of an ability to get a fuller and fuller pot without exploding. A fuller pot means that you get more victory points, and then also more currency to spend to buy even more ingredients, which you then add into your bag. The consequences if you explode are that you get either the victory points or the money to spend, but not both. So early in the game, you're almost always foregoing the victory points. And then later in the game, eh, okay, maybe now you like don't need the currency because it's time to rack them up. There's a couple of, of ancillary mechanics along with that. You have a droplet at the center of your board, and there are a few different ways that you can move it further and further out from the center. So you start at a higher point before you've pulled a single chip out of your bag, 
You can earn rubies, which lets you move it up. There are rat tails in the game, and this is, is really cute. There are little rats along the victory point marker, and wherever there's this rat, the rat's tail will cross over the victory point marker. So at the beginning of a round, you'll start with the player who is in first place victory point-wise and count back along the track, and for every rat tail that is between the leader and you, you get to throw that many rat tails into your pot, which effectively makes your droplets start that many spots higher on the board, give you a, a few extra currency to spend a little bit of a higher chance of having the fullest pot that doesn't explode, which will then get you a die roll that might move your droplet again or give you extra chips. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit later in, in, in a lot more detail about what the various chip types do, but that's the sort of basic mode. You can also flip the board over, which in addition to getting to use droplet moves to start yourself higher up in your pot, you can also use droplet moves in this track of flasks down at the bottom, and those will then alternately give you victory points or add more chips to your bag. You can go either way. Not everyone has to use that side. We actually have a it's a little bit harder to track things in my house because my youngest child just does not like the backside. And instead of using the backside, but just not activating down at the bottom, she insists on using the front side, which means that her board swirls in the opposite directions for everyone else. Uh, there was an expansion for the Quacks of Quedlinburg that came out in 2019 called the Herb Witches. And this added uh, three and a half different things to the game. The very basic chip got an upgraded version, which, uh, again, we'll talk about the, the chips later. There was a new chip type added in, the Loco Weed. It also added the Herb Witches. There's copper ones, silver ones, and gold ones, but it's not a which is better or which is worse. It's just that you get a copper token and a silver token and a gold token. And each game there is a copper witch and a silver witch and a gold witch out of a selection of the ones that, that come in the expansion. And that token, when you cash it in, gives you a once per turn, sorry, gives you a once per game activation of that witch that depending on which witch is out, it might double your money for that turn. It might get you a duplicate copy of a chip that you just bought, it might get you, uh, even if you explode, you get all the rewards anyway, that sort of thing. The final thing it comes with is an overflow bowl, and the purpose of the overflow bowl is that because of the power of the new pumpkin chip, and because of the power of the herb witches, it now becomes very likely that players will somewhat routinely overflow their bowls, not explode, but just right, the track only goes up to 35 or so. And then in the base game, every once in a while, somebody got up there, you'd be happy you got up there and you just call it a day now because you can get there a lot more. It gives you the ability to keep on dumping chips into this overflow bowl where they don't do a ton, but they at least generate more points for you. So. Do you need the expansion for this game? You don't. Quacks is stupendous all on its own. 
it sometimes feels with the expansion like you just have these amazing sort of pulls without uh, maybe as much work to it that may or may not be more exciting for you depending on whether or not you want to feel a little bit more clever or you just like the feeling of completely filling up your pot as often as humanly possible. It does not add a bunch of extra complexity. The Herb Witches are not a big thing. That's something that sometimes happens with games, right? You'll you'll get the expansion, and the game had a real sweet spot of complexity, and the expansion will start adding a bunch of modules on it that just end up being way too much to keep track of and can detract from the game. That doesn't happen here. The Herb Witches are fine. They're easy to keep track of. You only get to use the abilities once per game. It's, some of them are extremely clear on when you're going to want to use them. But then the other thing that you get for this, and the reason why you, if you've played Quaxalock, you might be most interested in, in getting the expansion, is that it just gives you more books. Well, what are books, you say? Chris, you haven't said anything whatsoever about books. Well, there are chips in a variety of colors. And in order to keep the game varied from play to play, each chip does not have a defined meaning. Well, except for the orange ones. So, for example, in the base game, there are green chips. And there are two double-sided green books. So that means that you have four different punch-outs that you can set out on your table that define what that green book does during that game. Now, they're in sets. So they either have one, two, three, or four bookmarks. The game recommends that you start with the ones, and then it recommends that at the beginning, until you've got some experience under your belt, you really only play with a set, like all the ones or all the twos. I don't really see that so much. I mean, sure, play with the ones the first time, but I don't think that there's a lot of call to only play with a particular set. There's not really much in the way of synergy between them, or or lack of synergy. I, I mean, there are some of them that interact with the white chips or the orange pumpkin chips, but those are always there. So, I wouldn't get too worked up about that. But what I did want to do was talk here a little bit about what these different books are. Not that I, I need to recite for you exactly what they all do, because if you have the game, you can read that, and this discussion is really only useful if you actually get the game. But I think it's interesting to look at what aspects of these different books are more or less fun, and so which ones I think would be more interesting to, to try out. And then if you, if you don't have that game, it, it may give some insight into you know, what exactly it is that makes the game so fun. So the, the basic kind of chip is is the pumpkin. The pumpkin is one that you actually start with in a little bit. They always have a value of one, at least in the base game. So the chips all have a value of one or two or four for the most part. And that is simply when you pull the chip out of your bag and you're putting it in your pot, how far does it go in the pot? If it's a one chip, it just takes up the next space. If it's a four chip, you count out four, and it goes four further down your your row there. And so if you're able to pull a lot of chips that are twos or fours instead of ones, you're going to get a lot higher before you need to stop, or else you fear risk exploding. Of course, the higher the value of a chip, the more expensive the chip is. When you're buying chips, 
you can only buy at most two and they have to be different colors so you can't just go all in on just buying the one and buying multiples of a turn and also you can't just say oh i have uh 15 so i'm gonna buy five pumpkins and just have so many ones in there that well yeah there's some whites in here somewhere but i'm just gonna i'm just never gonna draw them overall there's a lot of validity in in both going wide and having a lot of chips but then do not underestimate the power of just having big high numbered chips it really matters in and of itself to just be able to pull fours instead of necessarily getting a fancy power on that front so in the base game you've just got the pumpkin and the pumpkin's just a one the expansion adds the option to buy a six value pumpkin chip it is the most expensive chip that you can buy, but it's almost always worth it because it's a six. It makes things a little swingy, but one chip that is a six is an enormous amount of movement. If you're able to buy, say, three or four of these in the later rounds and you get to the last couple of rounds and you can pull three of them out at once, that's a vast amount of the way to filling up your just from those three chips. The next chip that you start with in the base game are the green ones. The game just refers to them as green. The green ones are spiders, the orange ones are pumpkins. You can see that on the chips. If you look at them closely, it's very easy to see on the, the books. The spiders are, are definitely the weakest of the chips. And they're obviously, because a spider does something, it's going to be better than an orange. But what the green chips do, for the most part, is they have abilities that trigger when the chip is the last or the second to the last chip that you pull out. And it turns out that that just doesn't happen that often. So we have found that people do not get very excited when they try to go in on the green chips because you just end up pulling them and they do nothing and you pull them they do nothing i think this is one of the ones where the lack of excitement about the green chips actually does match up to their power so what what you see them do is if it's your last or the next to last chip you get a ruby or you get a new chip or you can pay a ruby to move a droplet or you can you know get a die roll the one that doesn't do that is that it doubles the value of the green if you have exactly seven white value already out. Well, seven white, the highest amount you can have before you bust. So a lot of times people don't really want to draw that much when they are already at the edge, where if they draw any white chip whatsoever, they're going to go over and their, their pot's going to explode. So in this case, I think that the best green is the one that you start with the number one book it only costs four that's as cheap as they get the number six the six book from the expansion also has a decent value as far as these goes it also costs four the one gives you a ruby the six gives you a die roll uh, there's another one that costs four but it's the one where you have to pay the ruby to move your droplet and that's still only if it's your last a second to last. So you have to both have it at the end and you have to have a ruby. And then it effectively saves you a ruby, which is just worse, basically, than just getting a ruby. So 
I would definitely go with the default starter one of the, the one green for the spiders. The next set is red or mushrooms. The red ones tend to have abilities that relate to where a chip ends up in your pot, either in relation to either where that red chip is or where another chip is. So you have things like your red chip's value is increased if you already have pumpkins in your thing. So this is one of the, the few, right, where you've got a cross strategy. It kind of encourages you to get pumpkins into your pot. And then when you pull red, it can increase. If you've already got three or more pumpkins when you start pulling your the particular red chip, it really increases. You also have things that like that increases the chip's value if the immediately preceding chip was white. There are also a couple of them between the base set and the expansion that you either set that chip aside, and then you can decide later on whether or not you want to use it in this pot or save it for another one. Or you can just pull another chip, set it aside, and then instead of placing it right away, you can decide when to place it. This lets you do things like we'll talk about a little bit with the blue chips, but this lets you do things where it matters where in the pot your chips are. So for example, there are some of the spaces on the board that have the little rubies printed on them, and if that's your scoring spot for the round, you earn a ruby. There are going to be some of the blue chips that earn bonuses when you place the chip directly on a ruby. You can decide, you know, how you want to maximize it or not. My spouse, her favorite ones out of the red are this sort of things, the ones where you get to decide when you place some other chip or when you, whether or not you're going to place it this round or in the next round. I personally like the red chips that adjust based on the other colors. In particular, one of those is, again, the one book for the reds, which is the one that they can enhance based on pumpkins. But the one that I actually like a little better than that is the four book from the base set, which increases the value of white chips that are pulled after your red chip just by one. Just either just your one white chips and just by one, but that can really add up. None of those are super amazing. My spouse likes the red chips much more than I do, so maybe since she likes the reds more, maybe her idea of what is the most fun sort of red chip is uh, more relevant, in which case with the base game you'd start with the, the two, the two book, which is the one that lets you decide which uh, turn to use it in. Then there's skulls. Skulls have two different things usually. Either they care whether or not they land on a ruby space, and or they actually care what the value of the chip is for the ability. Almost all of the abilities for almost all of the other chips, they just have the same ability whether or not it's a one chip or a four chip. So you pay more for a four chip, of course, but it doesn't escalate quite as much as the cost escalates on the blue chips. So for example, the one that uses both of those is the four book from the base set, which is that when you place the skull on a ruby spot on the track on your board, you immediately score victory points based on the value of the chip. 
And so that, right, if you put a four chip on a ruby space, that's an immediate four victory points. That's not a trivial amount of victory points. That is definitely something else. Just like it's don't sleep on the value of chips while you're worrying about the fancy abilities on the chips. Do not sleep on the abilities of the chips that are just get some more victory points. I know that I get excited by engine building and I like to go in and I don't just want victory points. That's boring. I want a thing that gives me more cooler chips and then I'll go get the victory points later in the game. Don't 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 sleep on the whole just getting victory points route in this one. But the the most noteworthy blue chip is the one that's the one book. The one blue book is that you draw one, two, or four chips from your bag based on the value after you place the blue. You get to look at them, and then you may place one of them into your pot. The rest go back into your bag. It's extremely powerful. It's probably the best book in the game. It's the one book that we really felt was like overpowered. That it's sort of like when we're playing with this book, Nobody wants to buy anything but blues when they can afford blues. It's just so strong to be able to like look at the next two chips, and if they're white, throw them back in, or pick out the one that's good and put it on. It, it greatly increases the chances that you're just going to hit a lot of good chips before you are stuck pulling white. So uh, it, it's actually one that I would suggest not starting with even though it's the one i think that the best ones for starting off with the blue are the three and the four book which are the ones that trigger based on landing on a ruby and these are conditional obviously like the green ones but they're almost as cheap as the green the pumpkins are three the book three blue is a four book four blue is five cost so they're not very expensive and you are going to hit a ruby spot way more often than you're going to have something that lands in the last two. So there's a lot of value in the blue books, but I think those are actually the best ones to start with instead of the recommended number one. In the black books, this is the final base game chip that you have available at the start of the game. But unlike all of these other ones, in the base game, you only have one option. And that's that at the end of each round, if you have the more black chips in your pot than either of the players to your left or right, then you get to move your droplet. And if you have more than both of them, you get to move your droplet and you get another bonus. But that's the only option if you have the base game. So that's the only one that you're going to use. If you add in the expansion, there are variants on that. There's one that is based on you get to move your droplet up if your black chip is higher than anyone else's or another one where you get to move your droplet up when you buy the black chip but then you give it to the player to your left and then you get a bonus every time they put it into their bag i think even if you have the expansion i would just play with the base game one of this to start it's much more satisfying we've found to have whether or not you get to move your droplet be based on how many black chips that you have because that's a lot more in your control like i mean you're pulling chips out of a bag there's randomness in there but people seemed to feel more frustrated when uh, again it's it just feels a bit more conditional with the where the positioning matters oh i 
I pulled the black chip, but I pulled it beginning, so it's useless. Whereas, you know, it always adds up to something if you pull it with the, the base one. Now, the reason I, I said that that's the last kind of chip that you start with available in the base game, because there are two other kinds of chips in the base game that you're, you can't buy at the start of the game. There are yellow chips, which you can start buying on the second round, and then there are these purple chips that you can start buying on the third round. The yellow chips generally have abilities that move chips further. Now, moving chips further is very good. So the yellow chips are generally very good. The base yellow chip is one of the more conditional ones. If the, if the immediately prior chip was white, you can put the white chip back into the bag. That means that this one misses a lot. So again, I don't know if that is the best one to start with in terms of excitement. Uh, again, I mean, it, it, it can depend on who you're playing with, but in my experience, people have a little bit more fun when they're playing their chips to constantly do stuff rather than you're pulling a chip out and maybe it does something and maybe it misses completely. Especially since the, the very best time to have things that interact with white chips is right away because that's when you've got the highest percentage of white chips in your bag and there's a delay in when you can start buying the yellow chips. But the other sorts of things that the yellow chips do will be like double the value of the chip that follows your yellow chip or just they move further. The first yellow you get moves one further. The third yellow you get moves, I mean, just, just moves three further, just bigger, bigger yellows on there. The one that's a little bit different is a book that, based on the number of yellow chips you have in there, it increases the threshold to explode, which is also something that people really, really like. Because exploding stinks. You raise the threshold, hey, you're going to pull more chips out of the bag. I mean, the game is about pulling chips out of a bag and seeing what happens. It lets you do that more. That's fun. I would probably start with any of the yellows in the base game except number one one would actually be the last one that i would start with i probably for the very first game maybe i would not want to change up the threshold just to get people used to that and just go with one of the yellows that move stuffs even further but you can't really go wrong with with any of the ones in the base game the yellow six book is Another one of these things that you it moves the chip forward, but you have to pay to do it. You have to pay a ruby every time you do it, and so that is less fun. And it's also conditional because you may or may not have a ruby, and it's still expensive. The yellow chips are relatively expensive. The final kind of chip in the base game are these purple or slime ones. I don't know. I I, I I'm sure it says in it says in the book what this thing is. It looks some sort of slime worm. The purple abilities relate to upgrading things over time uh, and get, can, can give the game even more of an engine building feel. So you might have ones that, depending on how many purple chips you have, you get extra bonuses, points or even more chips, or moving your droplet, or you get points for how far along on the track your chip is, or get points based on whatever the next chip is that comes out, or one of the ones in the expansion, it can actually generate extra money. So 
the purple chips, they appeal to me on a gut level because they can feel more engineably. Oh, it's a chip that might let me get more chips, or it's a chip where I can do this strategy of I need to get these particular sorts of chips. The purple ones have in actual play have ended up feeling fairly disappointing. They often require you to have a lot of the purple chip, but you can't start buying them until round three, and they're relatively expensive. Like the default, I'm starting the game with this purple chip as a nine, which is as uh, the highest, except for the blacks, that you get on the, the starting array. They're 12s if you flip that book over to the second side. So it's a chip that requires you to buy a lot of it, that doesn't let you start until later. And then in the mid-game might mean that if you're buying the purple chip, it's the only chip you're buying, and they're all only one value. Which is a real cost to only be able to buy one chip that has a one value. The black chips really end up feeling like more of a an investment where like you buy that on turn one, I'm sure you only got one chip, but now it's gonna let me move my droplets up. So it's okay to start with the base book with the one book. It has a more distinctive purple feel to it, but in the base game the third book and then in the expansion the sixth book are more easily usable because those just give you victory points based on the value of the next chip or based on where in the pot your purple chip ended up so you don't have to load up on a bunch of them you don't have to invest in them early you can actually be like oh it's turn six maybe i'll throw a purple chip into the pot because i can afford to get that and something else but i would go with one of those but they're not quite as exciting as they they seemed to me at first at least the new chip that is introduced in the expansion is called Loco Weed. So, so it's only got the two different options, and they're both pretty distinctive. One is that the value of the chip is equal to how many rat tails you got to throw in, max four. And it's quote unquote only eight. So eight's not cheap, but if you're behind, paying eight to get a chip that's going to move four every time you pull it can be quite a bit. We've had games where people were getting a little apart and players got, you know, 10, 15 rat tails. I mean, all you, as long as you're getting three rat tails, it's, it's one plus the number of rat tails. So you don't have to be that far behind for this to be a four chip. Sometimes people seem reluctant to do that because it's like, oh, but then it's not going to be worth anything if I catch up. I'm like, you know, like, look, then you're winning. You're fine, right? That That's actually the one that I prefer out of the local weeds. The other one is more expensive, and it's copy the function and value of the last colored chip that you place. So it ignores the white chips, but if the last colorful chip you put out was a pumpkin, well, you just had a really expensive pumpkin, or at least a one-value pumpkin. So it really only works well in a strategy where you are able to first invest in a relatively small number of higher value chips. That can be a little hard to do, especially since this doesn't work that well if you try to get high value chips when you have, but then you also throw pumpkins in there, which is normally what you do, right? If you, again, you, you really do not want to whiff on this. It's not a cheap 
chip, and if you just end up copying a green one or a pumpkin, it's it's not not as great. Again, it ends up being a very conditional chip often, and in in our experience, people have more funds with the more consistent chips. Anyhow, so. Those are my overly extensive thoughts on the different chips and which ones are the most fun in Quacks and of Quenlinburg. But really, the most important thing about the game, regardless of the chips used, is just that it's a it's a fantastic, really really fun game. There is a lot of tension in there. There's definitely strategy in what you're buying, and if you're adding in the herb witches, there's some strategy in when you're using them. Although. Like I said earlier, is sometimes it's also very clear when the right time is to deploy one of these once-per-game special abilities. It's something that keeps me entertained playing it as someone who's got a lot of experience, even with some relative, you know, some pretty heavy games. But also, it can be fun even for my six-year-old. Now, she's not doing any sort of strategizing, right? She's just deciding what color she likes that game. And she just pulls until there's any possibility whatsoever that she explodes. And then she stops because we're going to have a meltdown probably if she explodes. So she just stops. But she can sit there and she can go through the mechanisms of the game. Everybody pulls simultaneously. If you if you really want to be hyper competitive about it, you can make everybody pull one at a time. So you can be staring at each other's boards and trying to compare and figure out in case that affects your decision. We don't ever do that. In the rules, you actually are supposed to do that in the ninth and final round. We don't do it even then. We just, you know, have a good... It's more fun and plays faster if you're not doing that, but I can see why you'd want to do that, but I've ultimately found that to be be more fun without it. That is the, the Quacks of Quenlinburg, designed by Wolfgang Warsh. It is published in the United States by North Star Games. It won the Kennerspiel des Jahres in 2018, well-deserved, and it's a, it's a game that we've played quite a bit this year, even before everything went into shutdown mode, and I, I anticipate we'll get a significant number of additional plays in over the next couple of months. You've been listening to Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can find us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com. You can subscribe to this podcast there or on the Apple Podcasts app or through iTunes or the Google Play Music Store or whatever podcatching service you use. If you happen to use a podcatching service that we're not on, please let me know and I will fix that. I am Chris at strangeassembly.com. I always like to hear your comments, feedback, criticisms. We can also be found on the usual social media. We're facebook.com slash strangeassembly at strangeassembly on Twitter and strangeassembly on Instagram. But until then, I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly. Never stop gaming.